BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the Next Pats podcast. I'm Phil Perry. We've got a great episode lined up for you this week because we are talking all things Bailey Zappi. Yes, that's right. Patriots rookie quarterback taken in the fourth round of this year's draft. We've had a chance to take in a couple of practices. We've had a chance to see Bailey Zappi zip it around a little bit. We've seen him get coached up by Joe Judge and Bill Belichick at times. And I figured this would be a good time to try to learn a little bit more about him. Why were the Patriots so enamored with him that even though they had Mac Jones on the roster going into just his second season, they felt as though this was the right move for them in the fourth round, especially considering where they took Bailey Zappi was really considered the meat of this year's draft. We talked about, about it all leading up to this year's draft. Yes. There was a certain tier of player that was going to be available at the very top of the draft, maybe the first 10, 12 picks. Then really all the way through the second round, you could find some really good players. But then all the way into the fourth, Daniel Jeremiah and others told us, you'll find starters there. And when the Patriots picked at 137 overall, and they ended up taking Zappi, here are some of the names that were still left on the board. The very next pick, the Pittsburgh Steelers took Calvin Austin Jr., the receiver out of Memphis, very undersized. Uh, almost Marcus Jonesian in terms of his frame, light, short, but an incredible athlete. Uh, I, that's actually not uh, just coming up with that off the top of my head. I, I won't separate my shoulder, patting myself on the back here, but uh, that's not a terrible comp. Calvin Austin, sort of the, the offensive version of Marcus Jones, some, some upside there because of his athleticism. A few picks later, the Packers take Zach Tom, who I think is going to play guard at the next level out of Wake Forest, somebody that we mocked, to the Patriots at least once during the buildup to the draft, but somebody who could potentially play all five positions at the next level, really good athlete. Uh, you know, some other names a little bit further down, Khalil Shakir, the receiver out of Boise State, who ends up going to the Bills. Thomas Booker, the defensive tackle out of Houston, or sorry, out of Stanford, who goes to Houston, but somebody who was clearly clearly a Patriots fit as well. And no surprise that he ends up going to Nick Casario, Tariq Woolen, Woolen, the six foot four, but blazing fast corner out of UTSA. So there was real talent. Zion McCollum, the freaky, freaky athlete, another corner with great size and unbelievable movement skills. Uh, he's still on the board. He ends up going at 157. So uh, a full 20 picks later after Bailey Zappi. And yet this is the choice the Patriots made. Why? And we asked that question at the time, and we got some interesting answers back from NFL folks and did some reporting leading up to the draft for our prototypical Patriots series, the quarterback installment there. We had some really good information from people on Bailey's app even before the Patriots took him. So we will get to all that. We will refresh our thoughts on Bailey's app. But the first thing we want to do is we want to talk to Bailey's app's coach and mentor, really, 
at both Houston Baptist, where Zappi started his college career, and then at Western Kentucky, where he posted an absolutely historic season production-wise last year at Western Kentucky. It was under offensive coordinator Zach Kitley. He's now the offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach at Texas Tech. This is going to be his first year. 2022 will be his first year at Tech, but he spent last year at Western Kentucky with Zappi. Helped get Zappi to Western Kentucky, despite Zappi getting interest from places like the University of Tennessee. So he had the ability, excuse me, potentially to end up at the SEC level in 2021. But he follows his coordinator from Houston Baptist to Western Kentucky. They're running that same offense. It's a seamless transition for him. And again, he has statistically the best season of any quarterback in college football last year. So without further ado, let's get Zach Kitley on the podcast right now. We'll talk some Bailey Zappi. All right, we're very excited now to have with us on Next Pats, Zach Kitley, who is the offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach uh, at Texas Tech right now, but, but has a great relationship with new Patriots quarterback, Bailey Zappi. He coached Bailey at Western Kentucky, also coached him at Houston Baptist. So, Zach, thanks so much for being with us here on the podcast. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys having me on. So I have to ask you first, what was your reaction when you saw that it was New England that had drafted Bailey just recently here? What did you think of the fit? What was your initial impression of that marriage? Yeah, you know, honestly, a little bit shocked at, at this at the jump, you know, just because, uh, you know, with Mac being there as a, as a rookie last year and he had a heck of a year, uh, you know, wasn't quite sure if the Pats would, would take one. But, uh, you know, quickly after that, I realized that, you know, my, my guy is going to probably the, the greatest professional sports organization uh, out there. And, and so that was that was awesome. And, uh, you know, just fired up for him. You know, he's worked so hard uh, uh, to get to where he's at. And, uh, you know, I think the Patriots are a really, really good fit for him. Well, and it's interesting, too, Zach, for, for our listeners, our audience that may not know much about your background, you have there's a little bit of a Patriots crossover in your career path, right, where uh, you were at Texas Tech. You're obviously there now, but you were there previously when Cliff Kingsbury was there. Do I have that right? Who obviously spent some time here in New England as well. So uh, what do you know about the Patriots maybe through Cliff and um, how do you think Bailey might kind of mesh with this offense that's been here for forever, really, ever since, uh, you know, even before Cliff Kingsbury was here in New England? Yeah, you know, I think the first thing that uh, that, that everybody kind of hears and, and, and knows about the Patriots is just the culture uh, that they have there with New England and, and what Coach Bilicek has done there, uh, you know, is, is really second to none. Um, and, you know, I, I think I think what y'all got, what you guys are going to get with Bailey Zappi, uh, is a blue collar, tough kid, and you know, so he he really, and you know, I'm not just saying this. I feel like he really already is going to fit the culture there. Um, I think he's going to really bring uh, to the table what what Patriots fans are looking for. Uh, you know, I've already heard some good reports back from him that he's kind of the first guy in the building in the morning, one of the last guys to leave. Uh, and you know, like I said, being here with Coach Kingsbury, who played there for the Patriots, uh, man, just heard a lot of great stuff. You know, uh, you know, I, I know he learned a lot. Uh, you know, being in that organization. And, and you know, he's uh, clearly doing it really well right now in Arizona as well. So I know he's taking a lot of those things that he learned uh, in his time there in New England. And, you know, he, he's putting it, uh, uh, you know, his his head coaching stamp on it as well there in Arizona. 
Well, and I, and I definitely want to ask you about your offense, the, the offense that, that you ran with, with Bailey for so many years at, at two different programs. Uh, but first, just want to ask you about your relationship with Bailey, because clearly it's pretty strong. I'm sure, you know, you don't spend as much time together as you and Bailey must have over the years without having a strong bond there. But there was also this interesting point in Bailey's career where, you know, he finishes his time at Houston Baptist. And I guess reportedly, you know, there are other big time schools, Tennessee, Notre Dame, USC, I, I believe I read as well, all showed interest in him as, as potentially bringing him on as a transfer student. He ends up following you to, to Western Kentucky. So uh, what does that say about the relationship that, that the two of you had? And, and just tell us how, how strong that bond was able to develop and the point that it got to after all those years together between you two. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're really, really tight. Uh, I was actually texting him very, very early this morning. He was already up and at him, and I was too here in Lubbock getting to work. Uh, you know, just checking in on him. We're, like I said, we're very, very tight. Um, you know, like you said, we, we spent four years together, and we spent a lot of time together, uh, you know, just really getting to know each other. And I think that there, there's a lot of similarities in our personalities, you know, how we were raised. Uh, you know, you ask us, we're, we're pretty simple guys. You know, we feel like we're, we're blue collar, tough, hardworking. Uh, you get what you work for kind of kind of guys. And so we clicked uh, uh, immediately, you know, on that front. And then, you know, I think we were both just very good for each other. You know, him, him for me, uh, you know, really, that was my first full time gig, you know, as a 26 year old play caller. Um, but having a guy like him, you know, with me uh, to kind of go through the ups and downs, uh, and then, you know, the flip side, me being with him, you know, coming off his freshman year, uh, it was a tough year for him. And then really just bringing in my, my offense that really uh, fit his skill set, you know, because he's, he's a professional and I coach it that way. And, and, you know, I think, you know, clearly you saw him flourish in what we're doing uh, offensively. And, uh, but yeah, we're, we're really, really tight. Uh, you know, his, his family is family to me. Uh, I believe I'm family to them as well. You know, I got to be there on draft day with him, you know, in Victoria at his house. Uh, so, yeah, very, very strong relationship. Uh, he means a lot to me. And I, I know I would not be here where I'm at sitting in my desk here at Texas Tech without him. So, uh, you know, I'm very grateful for him for sure. Well, very cool. That you're able to, to be with him at that moment where he gets that phone call from the new England Patriots and talking to bill Belichick was, was everybody shocked? You, you mentioned your, your initial reaction was surprise. And, and it was here as well. You know, they just draft Mac Jones. He has the best rookie season of any quarterback in the league last year. And they spend a real, you know, fourth round. That's, that's a valuable pick uh, yeah. in the league. And so uh, was everybody initially pretty surprised by that, by that link or had the Patriots shown enough interest in him over the course of time that it, that it did make some sense. You know, I, I can't, I don't want to quote this, but I want to say that they had told him that they kind of had him in that third, fourth round grade uh, coming in. <clears throat> but, you know, I, I want to say it was probably kind of a shock to most of us. Like I said, again, you know, with Mac being, uh, you know, one of the highly rated quarterbacks as a rookie the year before, um, you know, we just were kind of expecting him to fall to, to somewhere else, you know, to be honest, that, that had a little bit more uh, of not maybe maybe not a younger quarterback like Mac. Um, but it was exciting. Like I said, I, I know for him, you know, being able to, to be on the phone with uh, with Mr. Kraft and, and Coach Belichick was was very special for him. And it was it was for all of us just being able to be there in that moment. So, Zach, tell us a little bit about your offense and and how things operated for you there and, and what sort of principles and, and concepts you, you lean on. 
uh, and how that might translate for, for Bailey moving forward, because obviously he, he knows that thing like the back of his hand. And I actually talked to a couple of quarterbacks, coaches, one in particular. Um, and, you know, it seemed as though, based on what I was told, that there were maybe one or two other quarterbacks in this year's draft class that played in similar offenses. And what I was told was nobody knows this offense the way Bailey knows it. I mean, you know what you're going. This was even before the Patriots drafted him. Uh, so teams knew what they were going to get in Bailey as far as his football IQ and his understanding of what he was doing on the field. It was, it sounded like it was next level, but tell us a little bit about uh, your offense and, and how uh, that may translate for Bailey at the next level here. Yeah. You know, so, so we're, we're very multiple, you know, we're, we're multiple personnel, multiple formations, a lot of motions. Um, you know, we, we do kind of have some of the base old school air raid passing concepts, um, but we're very multiple in the run game, uh, all your zone stuff, as well as all your gap scheme runs. Uh, we have quick game. We have our drop back passing. Uh, we're we're a lot more complex than people think, uh, and, and so we do a lot. Um, you know, clearly, you know, we we got a bad rap, and I know he was battling this going through the draft process with some people saying he's an air raid quarterback. Uh, you know, all they have is is a one word call here and there and stuff like that, and and that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, I put a lot, a lot, a lot on his plate. And man, could he handle it all? Uh, you know, it, it it never mattered what situation we were in the game. We had Bailey Zappi back there, so we knew we we had a chance to win the game. Uh, you know, especially when you have a guy like that too. My philosophy is it's not necessarily uh, so much about play calls; it's about your players. And I had a couple freaky receivers, and and then we had the best quarterback in the country. Um, so why not put the ball in their hands? Um, and so that's what we did. Uh, but no, what, what we did offensively is going to really translate for Bailey. And I think people that interviewed him in the draft process, as I know the Patriots did, really saw that. And I think that jumped off the charts to them. Uh, you know, his, his football IQ uh, is really, really high. He has a great understanding of defenses, uh, you know, and that's the full package, you know, uh, fronts, coverages, blitz IDs, all that stuff. Um, and he's going to be able to get, get you to the right play. And, and that's the biggest thing that, that I do in my offense. Um, and like I said, I, I, I coach it like it's a pro style. You know, you don't see Tom Brady and, and Peyton Manning and the greats, Drew Brees, those guys getting up there. And if it's a bad play call, they just keep the play call on. You, you see them audible in and getting to different plays. And, and because at the end of the day, uh, that's how the position should be played, in my opinion. And, and countless times this last year, Bailey did just that. You know, I, maybe I didn't make uh, the greatest play call. Uh, but he knew what to get into whenever those play calls weren't great. And he does a phenomenal job at that. So um, I see zero issues uh, of him transitioning uh, into that because uh, he had a lot on his plate for us, as I know he will there in New England. Well, when you hear all that, the responsibilities he had, you know, at the line of scrimmage, being able to get his team into the right play and, and hearing just the breadth of, of offense that you ran where you're talking – all sorts of different run game concepts, pass game concepts. I mean, you could see now why the Patriots would would value him as they did and and be willing to take him as high as they did, maybe even as, as high as the third round. But then he slips to the fourth. They probably look at it and say, I mean, he's too good for us to pass on him here. We have a quarterback, but, you know, that position is incredibly valuable, as we all know. And it sounds like he fits what they're looking for to a T. And you can even read, and we, we did this with Mac Jones last year, but you can read 
you know, some old scouting um, notes from Bill Belichick's time with the Browns, and, and he'll describe things that he's looking for in a quarterback. And Mac Jones checks a lot of those boxes, but Bailey Zappi checks a lot of those boxes too. So you understand why they would value him as, as they did. I do want to ask you about one comparison, Zach, that I saw uh, you make in one article, but also uh, Randy Miller, who was former general manager of the Saints and the Dolphins, uh, made the same comparison in terms of the player. Um, they brought both of you brought up Drew Brees's name when describing mm-hmm. Bailey. So tell me what it is about Bailey's game that uh, that brings to mind Drew Brees, right? Nobody can predict, you know, somebody's going to have a Hall of Fame career and set all sorts of records the way Drew Brees has. But what is it about Brees's game, which our audience knows really well, that Bailey seems to have some of those components of? Yeah, competitor, leadership, uh, you know, the physical kind of similarities, you know, Bailey six foot and a half, uh, you know, 215, 220. You don't know exactly what what uh, Drew, Drew weighed, but, you know, I know he was in that six foot range somewhere around there. Uh, and just his ability to, you know, what made Drew so great is the same thing, man. His, his football IQ was through the chart, was through the roof, uh, you know, and, and he knew he knew certain situations and, and where to get the ball. And, you know, uh, I think they did a great job, too, of letting him be who he is and kind of be back there. And they, they threw the ball around a lot there uh, for the Saints with him. Um, and so that's why I, I just I really do. I, I see that in him. Uh, you know, kind of the underdog, you know, blue, uh, you know, blue collar, got a chip on his shoulder. Uh, I just see a lot of similarities, you know, and you saw him on TV, uh, just his tenacity, his aggressiveness, uh, his leadership. Uh, I just see a lot of those things in Bailey. Uh, and I truly think that, that that's a really good comparison for him moving forward. Last thing I wanted to ask you, Zach, we've, we've kept you longer than we were planning. So we appreciate the time that you're spending with us. Now we know it's, it's still a busy time of year. Uh, even in the offseason for you guys there at Texas Tech. But is there a story all the time you spent with Bailey? Is there a story that really sticks out in your mind in terms of when you think back to your time together and what kind of player he is, what kind of competitor it is he is, whether it's on the field in the moment or off the field, behind the scenes, is there a story that first comes to mind for you that that helps define who Bailey is? Man, he just all, all the time. You know, he, he always wanted to be first, you know, like drill work in practice. There was no, there was going to be nobody that stepped in front of him that got the first rep. He was always going to be the guy that got the first rep, uh, you know, just just competitor all, all the time and everything and everything he does. You know, he's a big bowler. He likes to bowl, uh, you know, with his buddies. And then I know he is a competitive bowler, uh, you know, with some of the teammates there at Western. And uh, but man, that's just who he is. You know, like I said, you, what, what you're going to get from him is you're going to get a guy that's going to work his tail off every day. He's going to want to compete. He's going to ask nothing to be given to him. Uh, and he just wants to win. You know, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. And uh, that, that's, that's really what sticks out to me. You know, I could, t- I could tell you multiple game scenarios whenever you knew we had something. Uh, you know, he, he had a, one of the worst high ankle sprains I've ever seen in 2019 uh, against South Dakota. Didn't practice one day all week. Came in against South Dakota, threw for over 500 yards, and we won the game uh, on a two-point conversion with a minute left, and we were 20-point underdogs. Uh, that's who he is. And he ended up playing the rest of the season on that bum ankle through for almost 4,000 yards and almost 40 touchdowns. And that's just who he is. That's what you're going to get. You're, you're never going to be able to hold him out. He's going to give you everything he's got every day of the week. Uh, and that's just who he is through and through. Well, Zach Hilly, thanks so much for being with us here. Great to have nobody better really for us to learn from, 
when it comes to figuring out more about Bailey Zappi as a player, as a person. I mean, the numbers that, that he put up when you guys were working together, I mean, almost 6,000 yards last year, 62 touchdowns. I mean, it is mind-boggling stuff what you guys were able to do together. So thanks so much for being with us here on Next Pats and, and sharing a little bit of what you know about Bailey Zappi. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. All right, great stuff there from Zach. We really appreciate him coming on the podcast and sharing a lot of what he knows about Bailey Zappi with us right now. And you know he's doing the right things here in New England in his short time here thus far. If he's getting to the facility early and he's living in the playbook, it sounds like he's checking every quarterback intangible that there is. But that was what you heard about Zappi even before the Patriots drafted him. So here's what I can tell you. A quarterback's coach told me about Zappi. This was before the draft. He said he loves ball. Great dude. His arm strength isn't good. That's rarely a deterrent for me is what this coach told me. Uh, But the quote continues here. His is close to being too soft. Still, I love the kid, his intelligence, his decisions, his accuracy. He can be a functional backup. Now, that is setting a relatively low bar compared to what Kitley is telling us and what Randy Mueller is saying. Again, I mentioned this in the conversation with Zach, but you know, this is what Mueller told the athletic football show. This was ahead of the draft as well. He says, the best thing he does for me is he processes information. He was really impressive in that he could manipulate coverage in the secondary and throw people open. And that's a really hard thing for college kids to do. The quote continues. I thought he was able to do this from the pocket and on the run. And he goes on to say, I'm not saying this guy is Drew Brees at all, but I'm thinking stylistically, his throwing motion, his ability to get it out quickly, gave me a lot of similarities to where Drew was and how he did business. So, of course, you can't say that a fourth round pick any year is going to end up being Drew Brees. But stylistically, is that not what the Patriots are looking for? Drew Brees was a good athlete at the height of his powers and had the ability to move around and scramble a little bit, but he was at the end of the day, a pocket quarterback who understands what defenses are trying to do with him. And he tries to manipulate coverage and he throws on time accurately. He throws people open. He's willing to test windows because he trusts that accuracy in his arm, even though his arm was never considered exceptionally strong. So 
I would say the strengths and the weaknesses there for Zappi and Breeze match up. Again, we're not saying he's going to end up with a gold jacket the way Drew Breeze will. But this is what the Patriots are generally looking for. Let's go back to that description that Bill Belichick laid out in his scouting notes for the Browns back in the 90s, which we've talked about ad nauseum here before drafts in the past. But I think it's a good reminder. This is what Bill Belichick told his scouts back when he was with the Browns, what he wanted in quarterbacks. Number one is to make good decisions. Then arm, size, physically tough, leadership, someone guys look up to and have confidence in. A real competitor. Accurate rather than a guy with a cannon. The emphasis on our game will be on decisions, timing, and accuracy. The guy needs to be confident. Intelligence is important, but not as much so as field awareness and judgment. He can't be sloppy fundamentally. He can't be an unsound guy with ball handling techniques, etc. His footwork, his drops, his release, all of those things had to be on point. The quarterback has to be able to throw the ball with accuracy is how those notes finished up. And again, those are notes that were provided by Daniel Jeremiah a couple of years ago. He came across those and we go to those every year. And Bill Belichick actually told us in a press conference this week when Tom Carn asked about those Daniel Jeremiah notes, he said, you know, we update those every year and we update how we value certain positions every year. But to me, when you look at that description, that is the description for Mac Jones. The emphasis on arm strength really isn't there. I mean, he does list it early in his description there, but he goes on to say, you know, you have to be accurate before we care about arm strength. And I think Zappi is the same kind of quarterback. Will he be as good even as Mac Jones someday? I, I would tend to say no, because I would probably lean more towards, you know, what this, this quarterbacks coach, this is a team that was interested in quarterbacks this off season. So he was doing his uh, due diligence and then some on quarterbacks in this year's draft. I would probably lean more towards what he's saying where, uh, you know, he, he is talking about the arm strength, but he's talking about the love of football and the intangibles. Uh, the comp that this coach brought up to me was Nick Mullins. Okay. And that, that to me makes sense. That's somebody that I think the Patriots probably would be interested in. And you know why I say that? Because Nick Mullins, Nick Mullins, excuse me, ended up with the Vegas Raiders and Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler just this past off season. He just signed with the Raiders a few months ago. And so they're obviously going to value the same things that Bill Belichick does in general, I believe at that position. And so can Zappi do that? I, I really, I do think he can. This is from Dane Brugler, our buddy. Again, another friend of the podcast with The Athletic. He says the offense that he ran at both Houston Baptist and Western Kentucky was ingrained in him. Zappi was a rhythmic decision maker in college and knew where to go with the football and how to stay on time. His average arm strength and inconsistencies when asked to anticipate or make full field reads will be tough to overcome against NFL speed. But overall, there's nothing necessarily explosive about his arms or legs but Zappi has a natural feel for touch and trajectory with the mind slash intangibles that will smooth his transition to the NFL. He projects favorably to Case Keenum, so there's another comp, and should be a longtime NFL backup and possible spot starter. So there you go. I, I think all of that is pretty consistent, whether you're hearing from Randy Mueller or Zach Kitley or the quarterback's coach that I spoke to earlier this offseason or Dane Brugler. 
everyone understands what his strengths and weaknesses are. And I think the reason you would feel good about the fact that he will do more in terms of highlighting his strengths and tamping down his weaknesses are some of the intangible comments that we hear about him, both from people who scouted him, who interviewed him this past season, but also from the coach who knows him best in Zach Kitley and hearing about all the things that he would do behind the scenes and just how competitive he is. I think you worry less about some of the physical quote unquote deficiencies he might have. And you say to yourself, as long as they are baseline level, as long as they are NFL acceptable, he might have a chance to overcome those because of everything else that he's willing to do because of the effort he's going to put in behind the scenes, because of the competitiveness, because he is a smart player, because he ran an offense that I thought this was a great point for Kitley to bring up. Because when you look at Kitley's background or when you see some of the passing numbers that Zappi put up, you say to yourself, well, this guy must be an air raid guy. So it's all shotgun. It's all, it's a lot of, I should say, short pass, catch and run type of stuff. When the reality is, they were a very varied offense. And this was someone who was allowed to be given total control of that offense at the line of scrimmage. So again, it, it makes all kinds of sense as to why he would be a great Patriots fit. I felt that way at the time, putting together the prototypical Patriots piece again, because of not only his traits, but because of where he was going to go in the draft. That's sort of where you would start thinking about the Patriots potentially rolling with a quarterback, but to hear so many smart people provide comps, you know, even if it's Case Keenum or Nick Mullins, and it's more on that end of the spectrum than it is the Drew Brees end of the spectrum, there's value there. There's a lot of value there. And so in the fourth round, even though you already have Mac Jones on the roster, and even though there was already talent in the draft, I can understand why the Patriots went where they did with this pick. All right, we got some good reaction to the mailbag style questions we took at the end of last week's podcast. So we'll do that again here quickly. We've got a couple zappy questions to start us off. Uh, ES, Def not ES2 says, does Bailey Zappy start week one? That's going to be a no for me, dog. But at some point, will he start? There's certainly not going to be odds on that that we could find anywhere at all. But I would say given the Patriots' recent draft history at some point, whether it's here in New England or elsewhere, there's a decent chance that he ends up starting somewhere. You know, looking at Jacoby Brissett right now, the kind of career he's put together is a third-round pick for the Patriots. Obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo. Jarrett Stidham uh, may be an argument against Zappi eventually turning into someone who starts a game somewhere, whether it's as a long-term backup a la Brissett, or it's potentially earning a starting job on his own. I wouldn't necessarily bet against that right now. We've got to see. We've got to see a lot more of him, but uh, hopefully we do see a fair amount of him. The reps factor is going to be a factor for him. Mac Jones should get the vast, vast, vast majority of those in training camp, but we'll see what we can when it comes to these preseason games. You know, these Patriots young quarterbacks have had pretty good 
preseasons over the last few years. Jacoby Brissett had one of the best preseason games ever right before he got traded uh, a few years ago. He was not a rookie at that point, but uh, Stidham a couple years ago, I thought had a better rookie preseason than Jimmy Garoppolo did. And Garoppolo had a very impressive rookie preseason. Mac Jones had an impressive rookie preseason. So uh, we'll be fun to see what he can do in exhibition play. Uh, Dave Trubin, our guy, Dave Trubin, producer extraordinaire for NBC Sports Boston, checking into the bag saying, if Mac goes down, do you want Hoyer or Bailey in there? What's the correct answer today? Well, I would say the correct answer today, I could see why people would say it would be Hoyer. I think I would go with Zappi. I think Hoyer is valuable to what the Patriots are doing right now, but I think that value is mostly in what he does behind the scenes for them. And what happened in Kansas City is hard to get out of your mind a couple of years ago. And so that's what I would say is if Bailey Zappi can get by, I think I'd be okay rolling with Bailey Zappi. That's a good question, though. That's a really good question. Hoyer's the easy answer there, right? Because he knows the offense so well. And he should be able to get, talk about getting you into the right play. He should be able to do that. And that would probably be his greatest strength. Whereas Bailey Zappi might not be able to do that as a rookie. But in terms of actually making the right throws and making good decisions in real time, again, it's really hard to get that Kansas City game out of my head. I'm sure those of you listening at home or wherever you are, Uh, feel similarly. So it's not a slam dunk either way as to that question. Next one. This looks like data. Kagami says, do you see Ty Montgomery making the team and any UDFAs that you think will make the team? I think for right now, it's hard for me to envision Montgomery making it only because they just drafted Pierre Strong in the fourth round and we know he's going to make it. And I don't know how many essentially sub backs you're going to have on this team. And that to me is, is sort of where Montgomery would fall. Now he does have the versatility to play receiver as well. So the Patriots will like that. And I don't know. I honestly don't know what his potential special teams contributions could be. I think there are several return options who would get the nod ahead of Montgomery as the team is constructed right now, including a couple of really young players. And so all of those factors, as well as Montgomery's contract, just looking at his contract here now, two years, 3.6 million, but, but signing bonus is all that was guaranteed. And that was at $300,000. So certainly no guarantee for him to make the team, his 2022 base salary this year, will be 1.16 million next year, 1.36. He has some playing time incentives, but the guarantee there would tell you he's here to get a look. He's here to get a look. And so I guess I would lean no right now. And I would say, uh, you know, Pierre Strong would be a key part of that decision, but never say never and injuries will change the deal. And if Ty Montgomery ends up being a, a key member of kick coverage, Teams, for instance, uh, Bill Belichick acknowledged this week. I thought this was an interesting comment from him that they're not necessarily going to value 
even those players as much as they did at one point in time, because there just aren't as many of those plays anymore. So, you know, the days of having Brandon Bolden and Brandon King and Nate Ebner and Matthew Slater and all of these special team specialists might be going by the wayside, even for Bill Belichick, which to me is, is significant. That would, if that's how it shapes up, but Montgomery Montgomery could add to his value there. If he ends up covering some kicks and you mentioned any UDFAs that I think will make the team, my pick as of right now, I think I addressed this in a written mailbag earlier this offseason, but it would be Brandon Schooler out of Texas. Played some offense, played some defense, but he was a freaky, freaky athlete. Here's how he tested at the Texas Pro Day. So almost 6'2", 6'1 203 pounds. 37 and a half inch vertical. 10 foot 8 broad. 44340, 4-1 short shuttle. Very fast, and the three cone time was blazing six seven one at two hundred three pounds. This guy's a great athlete. I don't know if he has a position offensively or defensively, but to me, he looks like the ideal kind of special teams candidate. He played special teams uh, for the Longhorns, and so I, that to me would be a guy I would look at right now as being the UDFA to make it. But again, just talked about how Patriots may not value those pure, pure special teams only guys as much anymore. And so maybe the UDFA who makes the team is coming from elsewhere. Maybe it's Cody Russi out of Houston, a center, smart player, everything you hear about him going to grind for sure. And, you know, maybe they're looking for the future at that spot, potentially, you know, David Andrews was an undrafted guy himself at one point in time. Uh, coming from a bigger program at Georgia, and Andrews is here for 2022, and and I think he will be for for beyond that. But uh, the interior of their offensive line is a spot that I could see them wanting to have a little bit more depth at. And so, Cody Russi would not surprise me, but I'm going to go with Brendan Schooler for right now uh, with that UDFA question. Okay, let's try to go rapid fire through these next few. Tim Dwight. Says it seems this can't be the Tim Dwight, right? Tim Dwight, unbelievable former Patriot. Just speed for days. Talk about uh, big play, explosive play threat. If it is, I salute you, Tim Dwight. Respect. Just a lot of fun watching that guy play back in the day. Okay, it seems unlikely. Pats roll into the season with five running backs, not even counting Montgomery or Taylor. Who is the running back most likely to get traded and what type of value do you think they could get? All right, here's the running back group right now for your New England Patriots. Ramondre Stevenson, Damian Harris, Pierre Strong, J.J. Taylor, James White, and Kevin Harris. Uh, that is the group that is on Patriots.com right now for me as, a, as their running back core. Pierre Strong is going to be on the team. Ramondre Stevenson is going to be on the team. Damian Harris, I believe, is going to be on the team. James White, I believe, is going to be on the team. But we know what James White is coming off of. He's 30 years old. We did not see him at practice the other day. I think he's probably going to have to be managed to some degree this offseason as he works his way back into football shape and, and just back into you know NFL life. And so there are a lot of question marks here. The one that I would think 
would get traded unless J.J. Taylor ends up having some kind of a big preseason and they feel like they could get something back for him and they just don't envision a role for him. If you're asking me which of these guys is most likely to get traded, the name to me would be Damian Harris. He's going in the last year of his contract. Teams generally these days aren't throwing a lot of money for second contracts at this position because everyone knows at this position, it's really difficult to sustain. It's just the nature of the job, unfortunately, for these guys. Damian Harris was a little banged up at the end of the year last year. They have a big back in Stevenson who looks like he looks like an every down player. Uh, the first practice we were at last week, I thought he maybe made the best catch of the day in the red zone. So we know we can catch the football. We know we can run. He can run between the tackles. We know he's a good athlete. Harris to me would be, and I'm not hearing anything at the moment in terms of them looking to deal Damian Harris, but I did talk to some folks during the offseason when the Patriots were looking at trying to sign Leonard Fournette. You know, it was suggested to me that that isn't something we should completely rule out as the potential for a Harris trade because of where he's at contractually, because he's somebody who would probably bring you something back in return. The Patriots just recently traded Sony Michelle going into the last year of his deal. They get a little something back. And, you know, now he's in L.A. and and he's moved on with his career. But so have the Patriots. And so. I'm not anticipating a trade with Harris, but to answer your question, that's probably the name I would go with. Damian, to be clear, Damian Harris, not Kevin Harris, who I'm not sure would make the team and to me would be sort of a a practice squad candidate out of South Carolina. Okay, we have a couple more trade questions, but uh, let's talk specifically about another position. Um, Sox Nation 0613 says, do you expect one more trade this offseason? Something more significant than just unloading Nikhil Harry? And then Wing Wang Badoodle, maybe my favorite name in the history of the mailbag. Thanks, Wing Wang Badoodle, for saying, how likely is it that Trent Brown is at left tackle and we're rolling without Isaiah Wynn into 22? Talked about this on the Patriots Talk podcast with Tom Curran. Did a little bit of digging on this particular topic since then. And what my educated guess right now would be is that the Patriots do not trade Isaiah Wynn and that he is at left tackle for the Patriots in September. Trent Brown is at right tackle. Cole Strange is at left guard. David Andrews is at center. And Michael Wynn is at right guard. Now, would I completely rule it out? The possibility of the Patriots trading Isaiah Wynn before this season. I would not because it's the Patriots and we've seen Bill Belichick do more quote unquote unlikely things in the past, but I would term it as unlikely for right now. And and the reason being, it's just really hard to replace starting caliber tackles. And Again, asking some folks around the league the last couple of days, you know, because he is viewed in a certain light here in New England, and I think it's fair that he's been a disappointment based on his draft position, based on how much he's actually been available to the Patriots, based on the fact that he plays an incredibly important position, and yet you don't think of him as a core piece of the Patriots. I think the Patriots would probably have loved 
for the win pick to have worked out in the same way. Obviously, Matt Light in the second round worked out a core piece, maybe a captain. You know, we just haven't we haven't seen him develop into that kind of player for this particular team. Maybe in large part because of reasons that are out of his control, right? He's been so banged up. Maybe hard for him to morph into that kind of player. But it's so it's so important a position partly because it's such a hard position to find. And so even if Wynn has been a relative disappointment, I think he's viewed around the league, based on what I've been told, as you know probably anywhere from the 12th to the 20th left tackle in football. So average, you know, on average, average. You might have a couple people who say, no, he's actually above average when he's on the field. You might have some who say, yeah, he's, he's slightly below average, but he's right around that average label um, when he's out there. Even that's hard to replace, though. And even though you have Trent Brown, you could kick him to left. Now you're looking for a replacement to play right tackle. And maybe they could do it, and they could swing Michael Wenu out to right tackle and keep him there, and now you're looking for a guard, and those are generally easier to find. And maybe there's somebody on the roster that we don't even really think about all that much or or know that well, and, and they end up looking like a true NFL caliber guard in training camp, and it makes that kind of trade an easier one for the Patriots to swallow. I just would say right now, moving him would put them at a disadvantage. You end up with probably a replacement level player starting a tackle, or you're kicking your right guard out to tackle and you're looking for a replacement at right guard. I think the best case scenario is that Isaiah Wynn stays healthy, plays pretty well, and you're paying him 10 million bucks, which is which is a middle of the road kind of left tackle salary. So I think it's appropriate what he's making this year. And I think that's what's best for your offense. It's what's best for your quarterback. It gives you the fewest number of question marks when it comes to Mac Jones's protection in 2022. And he may not be here beyond 2022, but for this year, for this team right now, a trade would seem to make them worse. And so even though they could use the cap space, there are other ways to generate that. And I think, Right now, at least, that's how I would view them going about this offseason is, is not moving win. But again, you never say never with the New England Patriots. Okay, last thing. Let's go to the depth chart because we have Tua turned to ball over. Okay. Points for creativity there. At Tim Sunscreen one says, what's your best guess for the Patriots nickel D lineup for week 18? How about week one? Can we do week one? I guess if you're asking week 18, you're providing for the fact that rookies may have established themselves or uh, developed to the point where they are starters. And so they may not be ready for week one, but by week 18, they're there and they're in the mix. I won't go there just yet, but let's just go with week one for now. Cause I think this is still a fun exercise. Uh, Week one, nickel defense. I think up front, you're going to have Christian Barmore and Lawrence Guy. I think Christian Barmore should be, listen, there's no defensive tackle anywhere. That's an every down player. But he's good enough to me that 
when they're out there week one, first snap of the game, that he should be out there. And so if you're in nickel, I'm thinking a four-man front. I like Christian Barmore, and I like Lawrence Guy next to him on the interior there. Right now for me, uh, at the outside linebacker spot, you would have Matthew Judon, and I think you'll have Josh Uche. That's my guess for right now. We've seen him play on the inside a little bit. Maybe he ends up there, but I think it'll be Uche and Judon on the edges. Okay. On the interior, at linebacker, in nickel. It's interesting because nickel is essentially your base, but I'm going to say that you have Juwan Bentley, even though he's not thought of as a sub player. I think you'll still have him out there. And I think next to Bentley, I think the guy who's going to end up establishing himself as a key contributor at linebacker, he's healthy right now. He's experienced. And I think he has both of those things over, you know, he might have the health aspect over Raquan McMillan, who's coming off a torn ACL. He has the experience factor over Cam McGrone. I think Mac Wilson could be the guy next to Juwan Bentley. So we've got Judon Nuche on the edges, Bentley and Wilson on the interior, Barmore and Guy on the interior of the line. And so we've got six there. Now we get to go to our five DBs, our nickel defensive back package. And this to me isn't that difficult. But you're going to have Malcolm Butler at one corner and Jalen Mills at the other. That to me is, is the way this thing is trending. Then you'll have Jonathan Jones as your slot corner. And it's safety of Devin McCourty in the back. And I guess the question would be, do you go Kyle Duggar or Adrian Phillips as, as the strong safety? I'll go with Kyle Duggar right now. And so that to me would be your 11 in nickel. Now, once you get into dime, then you can start getting a little bit more creative. Juwan Bentley comes off the field. You know, I, you're going to see packages where Barmore is the only true defensive lineman on the field and Bentley's off the field. Maybe you've got packages where you have Jabril Peppers and Duggar at the linebacker level. Maybe even Adrian Phillips is up there. And you've got six or seven DBs on the field at once because so many of them are so versatile and they can play in so many different spots. You know, that's something that I think will be fun to track during training camp, especially during some of the joint practices. How do they match up if we're in Vegas and Josh McDaniels decides to go four wide? All right, so Jakob Johnson's off the field, but he wants to spread it out. He wants to let Derek Carr just deal. And he goes 10 personnel with one back and four receivers. Now, how do they deal with that? Uh, you know, I would call it 10 personnel, but Darren Waller will be out there. So I guess it, it will look like 11 technically, but Waller is a receiver. You have to treat him that way. You know, do you answer Waller with Kyle Duggar or do you try to stick Adrian Phillips on him? Or does it have to be a corner? Do you have to bring Jalen Mills inside to deal with Waller? And then on the outside, because you want to have true outside corners out there, you also have Malcolm Butler and Terrence Mitchell on the field. So I just think there are so many different variations of how the Patriots can deploy certain packages, but that would be my nickel package for now would be 
uh, those two linebackers on the field. I think we could probably debate that one. You know, to me, Bentley is not a great pass game player, but he's been on the field for a lot of nickel defense over the last few years. So that's where I would lean right now. Jonathan Jones back in that spot in the slot, Malcolm Butler and Jalen Mills on the outside. And then you can kind of tool with your, your front, however you would like. All right. Great questions from you all, as always. Really appreciate you. Please continue to rate, comment, subscribe. Let's grow this next Pat's pod as best we can. We're going to continue to try to bring you the best interviews we can, give you that content that you're looking for this time of year. We have mini camp next week. So we will have all kinds of mini camp takeaways. This is mandatory mini camp, three days in a row, June 7th, 8th, and 9th, where we will be able to attend the entirety of each practice. So we will have a much better feel for where the Patriots see their team and and where they see their best players right now. And we don't want to overanalyze depth charts and starting groups in June, but that's part of what we can do. And we'll watch the offense, obviously very closely. We will watch the coaching staff and how they're operating very closely. Are there any differences there in terms of how they've approached things? You know, one thing that I would just say that we didn't really get to on the Patriots talk podcast as we reacted to the most recent Patriots practice and this is next bats and it's uh, essentially a Mac Jones podcast. Let's be honest. (laughs) Uh, But one of the things that I noticed from Mac Jones was he was assertive and he took charge at points. And there was one drill where receivers were working receiver combinations and Mac Jones stopped the drill right in the middle of the thing in between throws. And he was basically coaching the receivers, how he wanted a certain route run. It's something that I could see Tom Brady doing in years past. It's certainly not something that I would have seen Mac Jones do last year or Cam Newton do the last couple of years, this time of year, but he's the guy now and he's going into his second year. And that to me, we've seen him chew out teammates at certain points in time, but in a relaxed, slow paced, relatively slow paced practice, which this one was, This was not a heat of the moment, correcting somebody, getting in their face, trying to motivate them, trying to tell them, hey, we can't have that in a situation like this one. This was, no, 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 like, guys, it has to be this way. Almost like a coach. You know, I thought that was just a five or 10 minute portion, sorry, five or 10 second portion of practice. But I thought spoke volumes as to where Mac Jones is at this point in time. We'll have plenty more of those types of observations coming from minicamp next week. So keep an eye out for that. And we will talk to you then until then enjoy the finals NBA finals. I know you guys are eating up all of our coverage on NBC continue please to do that. Listen to the Celtics talk podcast, Chris Forsberg, absolutely grinding away. He is going to be sawdust by the end of this thing, but I know he's loving it and I know he's loving providing all the information that he is for all of you out there listening. So if you don't already subscribe to Celtics Talk, please go do so right now. And we'll talk to you on next Pats next week.